0: Read and hear more about important news, events, and public policy debates at ncnewsline.com. This is News and Views. Welcome to News and Views. I'm your host, Rob Schofield. As had been feared, the Republican majority of the North Carolina State Supreme Court issued a trio of rulings last week on the subject of elections and voting rights that promised to further undermine our increasingly fragile democracy. In Harper v. Hall, the court ruled that state lawmakers are free to gerrymander electoral districts for partisan gain to their heart's content. In Holmes v. Moore, it blessed a voter ID law that will disenfranchise thousands of citizens. And in Community Success Initiative v. Moore, the court made it likely that thousands of low-income formerly incarcerated people will never regain their right to vote. And earlier this week, in an effort to understand these momentous and damaging rulings, I caught up with one of the state's leading good government watchdogs, common cause of North Carolina executive director, Bob Phillips. Well, Bob Phillips, welcome back to News and Views. Good to have you back with us. Great to be with you, Rob. As we record this, we're just a couple of days past some momentous rulings coming down from the North Carolina Supreme Court, where it did pretty remarkable about faces on some opinions that had literally just been handed down a couple months ago. Let's go through them and get your thoughts and reactions. The first one, this is the partisan gerrymandering case, Harper versus Hall, in which previously the state Supreme Court had ruled that partisan gerrymandering was unconstitutional, but apparently not anymore.
1: It's very disappointing, Rob. That was a big win a year ago when the state Supreme Court actually ruled for the first time that partisan gerrymandering is a violation of the North Carolina Constitution. We do have a freedom clause, I guess, free elections clause what I meant to Mm -hmm. say. And it's sort of this fundamental right that we all should be able to vote on equal terms. The question is, how do you do that when the lines are rigged? That's what they have done. And unfortunately, this ruling this past Friday will enable them to do it with as much gusto as they want. Very disappointing ruling.
0: In the past, there have been rulings in which courts have found that there was unconstitutional racial discrimination involved in gerrymandering. But presumably, it seems that the Republicans have sort of learned their lesson, so they don't frame it in terms of race. If you simply frame it in terms of we're just going to draw these maps to guarantee that as many Republicans win as possible, I guess as far as the, at least the current majority of the North Carolina Supreme Court is concerned,
1: perfectly fine. It's true, Rob. It almost validates the infamous representative David Lewis line when he said, you know, we're trying to elect as many Republicans as we can. And of course, that was what sort of initiated our original, it was called Common Cause v. Lewis challenge of partisan gerrymandering back in 2018. Now, the state Supreme Court is basically saying, it's okay, we can't do anything about it. It's the legislature's free will to uh, draw the maps and, and they can do whatever they want. And so here in a state that is
0: basically still a purple state, we elected a Democratic governor, we've had some very close statewide elections. Presumably for the foreseeable future, it will be very difficult for the Republicans not to draw the maps to give themselves huge advantages in the legislature. And I saw a story in Politico that said this could affect the U.S. Congress breakdown too, because of course we have have right now a 7-7 breakdown in the congressional U.S. House delegation. And One presumes that's going to change dramatically in 2024.
1: Yeah, they could grab, the Republicans could grab four additional seats out of a new North Carolina draw, similar to what they really had when they adopted the map in November 2021, which is what we sued them over. And that map was going to uh, produce an 11 to 3 map, 11 Republicans and three Democrats. We can only assume that's what they'll try to do again. I wonder whether there's any implications at all at this point or whether it's sort of
0: mooted out. There's a U.S. Supreme Court case that came out in North Carolina where Republicans were advancing so-called independent state legislature theory that said under the federal constitution that the legislature could do whatever it wants. I guess as far as the North Carolina Supreme Court, that theory holds here in North Carolina as far as they're concerned. Is there any concern that this could be spreading nationally, that the Supreme Court might still sort of take this model national?
1: Well, the danger, Rob, of course, is that case called Moore v. Harper, which came out of the litigation last year. It gets rather confusing. And the danger is that would be a precedent-setting case. Some folks have said, okay, now that the state Supreme Court has invalidated the original Harper v. Hall case, maybe it moots Moore v. Harper. But we really feel that this is going to come before the U.S. Supreme Court anyway, that we had a very strong argument in December when this case was uh, litigated before the U.S. Supreme Court. And our view is let the U.S. Supreme Court go ahead and decide this because we think our chances are actually good. Another case very similar to North Carolina is already coming out of Ohio. So inevitably, we feel this is going to be heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. We'd like to see it maybe heard with our case, because, again, we think we had a very, very strong defense, if you will, against the independent state legislative theory.
0: And if nothing else, that would presumably help other states, if not necessarily North Carolina. There were some other rulings issued last week by the state Supreme Court. Another very important one, another one where they reversed something that had been decided just a couple of months ago is called Holmes against Moore. And this is the case that involves voter ID, which is a topic that's been debated in North Carolina for years and years. This, we had a, a constitutional amendment, sort of a a very vague general constitutional amendment enacted by the voters in 2018. This is about the law that was to implement that. Tell us what happened there and uh, what your thoughts are.
1: Yeah, I should say, too, there's just never been any evidence in North Carolina that voter impersonation is a problem. Nothing systemic evidence wise has ever been shown. So we have always traditionally been against the voter ID, even though a lot of people think it's common sense. The ruling basically validates, reverses the ruling from the previous court that invalidated the voter ID, enabling legislation is what it's called. It was passed by the people in a constitutional referendum, but then the legislature had to come back with how does this amendment get applied? Now it appears that that law that they had passed that had been overturned is going to go into effect. But there are some things, Robin, again, I I know I'm confusing probably everybody, but there's some things that could slow that trying down, if you will. There's already a, there's still a federal lawsuit pending against the North Carolina voter ID law. And uh, I know that the majority party would love to have this applied for the 2024 election, but it is uncertain whether that happens.
0: Well, that'll be fascinating to watch. And we hope very much that if we're going to have voter ID, that it is done in the most even-handed and uh, manner possible so that as many people can still vote. I mean, I guess the, the target with this voter ID legislation, the concern is that there are still thousands and thousands of North Carolinians who don't have photo ID, right? But who are still regular voters.
1: There are. It's easy to check against the DMV, people who have driver's license against the voter registration. And there are several hundred thousand people. Of course, that would affect every election practically we have in North Carolina if that is a barrier. You've got college IDs as well. The original voter ID law, once upon a time, was very restrictive regarding college IDs. I know you all have a story on your site, Rob, that cites the Cleta Mitchell Trump lawyer who is all about trying to limit college voting. So we worry about what might happen with a law that could also really go after college students and their right to cast a ballot in North Carolina. Talking
0: with Bob Phillips, who's the executive director of Common Cause of North Carolina about some momentous decisions handed down by the North Carolina Supreme Court in recent days. We talked about partisan gerrymandering. We talked about voter ID. And there' a third case that perhaps hasn't gotten quite as much attention, but is going to directly affect tens of thousands of potential voters is a case that has to do with felony disenfranchisement. The notion that we have people who have felonies on their record and they may still be on probation or they haven't had the money to be able to pay their fines or restitution. We had a court order that these folks were entitled to vote, and now appears that's going away.
1: Yeah, that's 56,000 people who actually were legally allowed to cast a ballot in the last election. Now they will not be able to. And these are folks, Rob, they've served their time. They're out of jail, but they have some conditions of probation that they have to meet. The previous court had found that that was discriminatory and said, no, you can go ahead and vote. I think the thought is, as we are trying to get these folks back into society, voting is a fundamental right. It helps with that process. Why not? Again, these are folks who've done something wrong. They've paid their debt. They've served their time. They are out of prison. It just seems, again, using those words, common sense to allow them to cast a ballot. But this decision will prevent that from happening.
0: And of course, there are some deeply troubling historical facts that go into this case that have to do with actions taken in past centuries in North Carolina to effectively put criminal records on people of color in hopes of that would prevent them from voting. And it seems that this uh, law is clearly disproportionately affects
1: Black citizens. It does. Uh, it's unfortunate, Rob. It does harken back to the sad legacy we have in this state of discriminatory laws, specifically targeting people of color And uh, it's just really breathtaking, all three of these events or these decisions that came out on Friday, very unprecedented, particularly that they were all reheard, if you will, which is just something a state Supreme Court doesn't do. Very troubling. I know one of the headlines, three strikes against democracy in North Carolina. I think that aptly says it. So where do we go from here? I mean, uh, obviously, it's going to be an uphill fight. I take it you still
0: think there's There's hope for battling back against gerrymandering. It seems that gerrymandering in general is something that has finally sort of penetrated the consciousness of average North Carolinians in a lot of places, maybe who were never even aware of it as it's been perfected and computer digital technology has made it so effective in rigging elections. I take it you still hold out hope that at some point people are going to speak out, get some sort of better way of drawing maps in our state.
1: We do, Rob. I mean, poll after poll after poll shows that Republicans, unaffiliated and Democratic citizens in North Carolina do not like gerrymandering. Even the leadership, once upon a time, put their name on bills supporting redistricting reform. I think we all know gerrymandering is bad. Even I think the justices who wrote the majority decision, they know it is wrong. And so one of the messages I hope everybody can kind of hear from Friday's decision is this the decision does not mandate gerrymandering in North Carolina. The legislature can still do the right thing. They can draw fair maps. They can do it in a process that has ample public input and transparency. It's really up to them to choose whether they want to do the right thing. And that's what we, the people, need to watch and hold them accountable if they don't. Again, no one likes gerrymandering. And look at this too, Rob, the majority party, they're doing quite well with maps that are fair, if you will, more fair than the ones that they had drawn. The maps that they won on in 2022 even gained supermajorities were maps that the courts had drawn, remedial maps that were certainly better than the extreme partisan gerrymander maps that the legislature had drawn. So do the right thing, lawmakers. Go ahead, run on your record and see what happens. That's the message that we're trying to promote right now.
0: Well, we saw this past year how, after a decade of advocacy, this, even the Republican General Assembly passed Medicaid expansion in the state. Maybe this is another area where eventually they'll see the light. We sure hope that's the case, and we thank you so much for your advocacy in that realm, Bob. Thanks for standing up for all the people of North Carolina. Thanks again,
1: Rob. Always good to be with you.
0: Coming up next, the North Carolina General Assembly continues to advance a raft of regressive legislation, and we'll talk to a courageous lawmaker who's bearing witness and pushing
1: back. Don't go away.